Hey, welcome to Church at the Red Door. Is this not awesome? I thought with a little wind it might keep you away, but it hasn't, 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 hasn't. Uh, just a couple of things I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, I'm very excited to tell you that next Sunday you're going to get to hear from your, our illustrious Pastor Paul. And everybody loves Pastor Paul, and so he's working on a message. And then immediately, uh, two days later, we're going to have a, a Christmas Eve service, 4 o'clock, right here. And I'll be conducting that service. So we've got, man, we're coming at you next weekend, so it's going to be good. And uh, so we're going to be very excited about that. And uh, <clears throat> I want to just kind of briefly talk to you just a little bit about, because a lot of questions have been going on because we did this vision presentation, right? So most of you have, are now privy to the fact that we are in escrow on a piece of property. And uh, we've got uh, some architectural rendings, and we're dreaming out, and we're thinking, and we're working through this. And so obviously the, the response to that was, you know, how are we going to pay for that? And so, uh, well, you know, God. I mean, we're, God's going to do it. And uh, I talked to my father the other day, and he informed me that we had every single dollar we needed already. We had it. It was done. So I was, that's incredible. She, she said, it's just still in your pockets. So uh, <laughs> I said, well, that's okay. That's pretty good. <clears throat> so to give you just to, so we can kind of answer this, and I know you see the trustees, the elders, and the various people, but uh, we're going to probably do this in two stages just to kind of keep you abreast of what we're, we're talking about. End of January, maybe beginning of February, having some kind of gathering, whether we do it here or we do it off-site and have a dinner. We're not sure. I just told you before, I'm not going to throw any, you know, fundraising type folks, professional fundraisers. We're not going to do that. We're just going to pray. We're going to ask God what he wants us to do, and, and, um, and we're going we're to see what he does. And we'll probably do it. We need to get the property paid for, and that, that'll be our first step. We've had two very sizable commitments to the property. Uh, it gets us uh, almost halfway there for the property, which is extraordinary. And, uh, and then we will probably next fall start talking about, you know, the building thing. So, look, if you're new to this and, and you don't want to do this, this morning is for you because the sermon topic is greed this morning. So uh, <laughs> just happens to be, and I don't, you know, I didn't plan this out and say, yeah, he's been planning this out for a long time. I have not been planning this out. The Lord does these kinds of things. So um, <clears throat> anyway. All, all joking aside, we, we feel that this is the time, and uh, we're a little tentative here. We, we don't know what the future holds uh, being here. And I, and I had somebody approach us, a pastor who's been pastor for 40 or 50 years and knows kind of what's going on in California. He said, you know, we don't know what the future is going to look like in California. Churches are, it's more and more and more difficult to build a church anymore. So um, we don't know. This could be... And I, I'm not trying to hyper-sensationalize this, but uh, it's, a, it's a unique time, and we think this, uh, this is a calling. And if we hadn't felt like through four years of prayer that now was the time, then we wouldn't have even be, be talking to you about this. So uh, everybody, does that kind of answer some of the questions that you've had? Look, if you if Lord puts something on your heart and you want to make a, a sizable commitment of some sort uh, in advance to get people, you know, kind of excited about that. And to just let us know, and we'll kind of know in the back of our heads, and, and uh, maybe, maybe we forego the first step, and it's just already paid for. The property's already paid for before we even get to a need to raise funds for the property. I don't know. But just is that so uh, anyway, I'm not great at talking about money, but I just did. So now I'm going to have to pray and recover from all this. <laughs> And uh, so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We are so grateful to be able to gather. And, and Lord, <clears throat> this season, Lord, you know 
There's some that suffer during times like this. They feel alienated and lonely and don't feel included. And other people will seem so merry and joyful and have family coming in or going to see family, many on, many on live stream right now. And, and Lord, they don't feel that. Lord, I just pray right now that you would do an extraordinary thing in their hearts over, their, over this season. Would you prove to them that you, in fact, are enough? You are enough to fill those voids. Father, would you be with us this morning as we try to dive into your word? Lord, you know this is a topic I do not like talking about, not only because I don't like it because it sounds a little bit um, preachy, but it's also hard for me to try to internalize as well. So we're going to need your Holy Spirit to navigate the waters of this topic this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, so... Just to give you, if you're kind of new, we're, we've been going through this, uh, what we call the Exodus template. Everybody goes through this unique path. We talk about it really, from, we're almost two months into this now, and uh, talk about this unique thing that has, God has given us through the nation of Israel, that they came out of Israel, we come out of the world. They went through the Red Sea, we go through our baptism. They went into the wilderness, we go into the wilderness. And then at, at some point in our, in, through our spiritual maturation, I'm convinced not many people get there. I am. Uh, I, I've, I've observed it. And I would say not many people, especially in the Western church, it's challenging because it's too easy just to attend church. And you never really think about you having a gift, having a calling, having a stewardship of your life with, a, with great specificity. God has created good works for us to walk in. And I've told you before, I think some people talk about see a parking lot and some say, well, just go anywhere in the parking lot. And then other people see, no, God has a specific parking place for you. And I am of the latter camp. I really do believe that God has a very specific place for you to park, both in your gifting and the way that you uh, uniquely come and add to the body of Christ. There are some things that keep us out. And so the Lord does these internal things. And remember, our call is to go in and destroy. Now, what are we destroying? We're not destroying people. We're trying to set people free through the gospel. Jesus does it, but he uses us. We're his hands and feet. So we're called to go in, Deuteronomy, they were called to go in and destroy and don't leave anything left behind. And you see that in the very first, right when they went into Jericho. Uh, don't, don't take any of the stuff, just destroy everything, except for Rahab who had that little red thread hanging down from her little window, which was a picture of the cross thousands of years later, a thousand years later, so, uh, or almost 1,500 years later. So what do we do with this? Well, we, we've been talking about the fact that they were going in to combat idolatry, and if we're going to combat idolatry in the culture in which we live, we have to extricate it from our own hearts. We can't go in and release people from something. And I, when I remember, when I say we can't, it's Jesus doing the work. So let's just be clear on that. But he's doing it through us, and we can't do that if we're still struggling in these areas. And we're going to talk. We, we alluded to it last week when we touched on Colossians chapter 3. Paul very specifically says that greed is a form of idolatry. It's like it is idolatry. So they used to bow down to the actual, you know, idols, physical idols with gold and overlaid with gold and silver and things like that. But we do the same thing. They were really always seeking the same three things that we seek. Power, sex, and money. Those, in some way, those are the three overarching categories that somehow we think with power, sex, and money that we can fulfill those aching, vacuous spaces that are in the inside of, on the inside of us. And we imagine that somehow that's going to make all the difference in the world if we can just 
get enough in the bank or something. So I'm going to talk to you about three things. Number one, greed cannot fulfill, and we're going to try to define, I'm going to try to give you some definition of greed. And then I'm going to try to show you that greed drastically affects your character and your disposition. It affects you in very significant ways that you probably are unaware. And then lastly, is there an antidote to greed? And there is. Okay, so we'll start out here. I just want to start where we finished last week, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20. Proverbs 27, 20. Sheol and Abaddon. Now, what is Abaddon? Abaddon was a destroying angel. Actually, you get it picked up in Revelation as well. A destroying angel. Sheol was the place of the departed spirits. Uh, and so this is a place where you are not just cognitive synapses in the brain and conscious for a moment, you continue to exist after you die. It's the great, you know, it's what all the major religions at least try to address, which is you are in some way conscious beyond that. Not all of them agree with that. Buddhism would say you kind of get merged back into the great oneness, and I don't know why that is something that I would aspire to and lose my own consciousness. No, you, you are a, you are a soul and you have a spirit and you will continue to exist beyond your heart beating. But it says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, nor the eyes of man ever satisfied. Here's the, ba- here's the bottom line. You will always need more. You think money's going to satisfy it, security, power, somehow you're going to rise to a level. It's always this and then there's always a decline. Always a decline. You'll never be satisfied. Let's just get that. You will, the Bible says that you will never be satisfied with your eyes. What you see, we talk about the seen and the unseen realm. What you see, you will never be satisfied. Now you say, well, I disagree with that. Because I'm quite, I'm quite sure that if I can just get or have or, you know, if I could just have the perfect soulmate, all these romantic comedies, they, they, it's always perfect at the end, right? It's just they, they wander off, and then there's this beautiful thing. They were sleepless in Seattle, and now they're, they're not so sleepless. <laughs> I mean, the, Hollywood sells us this. We're always aspiring, and it's always the next something. You'll never be satisfied, number one. They have the appearance of being able to do something, but they simply cannot. You know, Alexis de Tocqueville, I've uh, referenced him a couple of times. Tim Keller actually quotes in his book, Counterfeit Gods, as well. But he was a, for those of you who don't know, he was a French diplomat in the mid-19th century. And uh, he came and wrote Democracy in America. He was interested. He was a historian. He was a diplomat, obviously, but he was also a political scientist, kind of the first forerunner into that. And he came and says, I want, to ex- I want to really look into America. What is making America? This is an amazing thing that's happened. These are just a bunch of, for the most part, not entirely, but many of these are just Indo-Europeans that come over and, you know, we had all this structure and now they're, they're just a, there was an explosion uh, in terms of prosperity, And he said this. It's pretty interesting describing this American experiment. He says, uh, there is a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants of America in the midst of abundance. He just noted that. He said, you know, it's, it's amazing. He said America's great because America's good. He saw a lot of what had happened. And now he saw the abundance coming from it. And then he saw a strange melancholy. And I don't even know that he was uh, hanging out in Palm Springs. 
Have you sensed that here? There's a strange melancholy over this valley. There, there's, oh, there's happy times and let's go and have a nice dinner and let's meet for golf the next day and, or, or, or whatever. That's kind, of the, uh, that's kind of the whole picture of our valley. But there is a strange melancholy that exists over this place. Why? Because the eyes of man, like the destroying angel and Sheol, are never satisfied. But deep down we kind of don't believe that. We think if we had a little bigger, a little better, a little faster, a little stronger, somehow a little more, we would fill that and it will never be enough. It will never be enough. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. You just need to know what your Bible says. Now, you may feel differently about that, but what the Bible says is that he who loves money, it doesn't say that money doesn't satisfy a need or, or uh, able to buy food or clothing or a roof over your head and necessities of life. It doesn't say it won't satisfy those needs. It just say the love of money, uh, the always a little bit more, will never be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. It's all vanity. If you have enough money where you have to sit around and go, I wonder what we could do with our money next, you have an abundance, too much money. Just thinking, well, what shall we do now with our largesse? What shall we do next? Chances are you've gone beyond and you're living in abundance. Some, maybe even in here this morning or online, you know, you, you need to be able to pay for food and you've got some bills that need to be paid. But most of us in this valley and especially this church live in abundance and I, I include myself in that. We have beyond what we need for food and clothing. Laura and I do. Isaiah 55, verse 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what simply cannot satisfy? Listen carefully to me, the Lord would say, and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Now, he's talking about Isaiah 55 is about his word. I send forth my word and it accomplishes the purpose for which I send it. That's what the word does. Not some ancient do-goody book that just kind of moralizes about a bunch of stuff and wants to make you miserable. Delight yourself in the abundance of the scripture. Some of you already know this. Some of you don't yet. Some of you are just beginning to taste the abundance that's in here. You will not be satisfied with money. You simply will not be. Some of you think that this message is not for you. <laughs> okay, I, I know that's hard, but you're already thinking of greedy people you know. And let me just tell you, there is a scoffing. Anytime somebody starts to talk about people's stuff, there's a scoffing that happens. It happened as Jesus talked about it in Luke chapter 16. It says the Pharisees who were lovers of money... We're listening to all these things that Jesus was talking about, and they were scoffing at him. Why? Because he was challenging their idol, which was their money, and yet these were the religious people. This happens inside the church. It happens outside the church. They were scoffing at the message because they were trying to disrobe the speaker of the message, tear him down, because at the core of it, they weren't able to hear the message because they loved money. And even though they were religious. How many times is that the case that you cannot hear something? Jesus constantly, as we've referred to before, those who have ears to hear, let him hear. They, 
We can't hear because our ears are blocked by idolatry, and sometimes it's greed. Sometimes it's sex. Sometimes it's power. You're going for something as hard as you can, and you cannot hear the words of Jesus. In fact, you have to turn, and because of this cognitive dissonance that arises in your heart, you have to, and you wouldn't say, I do that, but sometimes you scoff at those words because there's an idol blocking it, and greed can be one of those things. That's a hard message. Aren't you glad you got up and came to church? Isn't this great? Isn't this great? It's going to get better too. So let's try to define what greed is. Greed is a spiritual disease of our heart. It's where we set our affections. It's disordered priority. I I go back to Andy Stanley and he he gives this picture of greed and he says a lot of people, and and as I alluded to, and I I read this somewhere and I don't remember where I read it, but it was like I've had And it was true in my experience. I've had people through 25 years or so of ministry come to me uh, and say, you know, I'm really struggling in this area. Can you pray for me? I'm really struggling in this area. Can you pray for me? And as I alluded to a couple of weeks ago, I've never had anybody say, I'm really struggling with greed. Can you pray for me? Never. Because it's so subtle. So there's some things that we have to get a hold of. And where is greed promoted? It's promoted often because we're fearful. We feel like we need to hang on rather than release. We don't, we don't see God's economy as being one of, a, uh, of abundance. We see God's economy as, well, we're, you know, you're just a place where you're always getting asked to give something and go to some kind of fundraiser or, get, or build some crazy thing. I mean, and you don't, you don't have ears to hear that because you think of God's economy as being one, well, that doesn't really provide. And again, this gets down to the heart of the issue. Do you trust that God, in fact, is your provider and not yourself? You say, well, that's fine and all. We can talk about God, but if I don't get up and go to work tomorrow, or if I don't, you know, if I do this or this or this, then I'm not going to be able to eat. I don't know. Have you tried that? I mean, do you see yourself as a steward of God's things, or do you own them and occasionally you throw some God's way? I mean, this is a hard message, but it's thoroughly biblical, as we will see. How can you identify greed? Well, Andy says, greedy people talk a lot about and worry a lot about money. You know, it just kind of is something always on their tongue. It always comes up in conversation because oftentimes idolatry, when it's there, you filter everything through that. And you don't realize that you've been greedy and it's affected your children. If every, everything is about your household, you know, growing up, maybe your dad was that way, a depression mentality, and now we have 2000, the dot comics, you know, blow up, and now we have 2008 and all that blow up, and, you know, we have this hoarding mentality, and, and uh, it just feels like every, in, in your own, you know, your wife's terrified to spend money, men, or, or, or your children are afraid to talk about it or anything, or need provision or anything like that, and you're always talking about it, you're just fearful, you're just like, ah. And you may have a lot. The average human being on the planet is worth about $300. If you add up their socks and underwear and, you know, everything they own, $300, the average human being. That sounds like just going to dinner with your wife and around here anyway. Greedy people, they're not cheerful givers. They give reluctantly, and they give to show often. They're reluctant to share. They're poor losers they quibble over insignificant sums of money. Do you find yourself doing that? They talk as if they just have enough to get by, just barely. They're just squeaking by. But deep down, they're kind of hiding it, which leads to a culture of secrecy around themselves. They don't want anybody to know what they have. 
Greedy people won't let you forget what they've done for you. They, they're reluctant to express gratitude. They're not content with what they have, and they attempt to control people with their money. It's a little picture of greed. And as I was reading some of these, some of these rang true in my own spirit. Can you hear my spirit ringing right now? <laughs> no, it rang true in my own spirit. It really did. I, I, I find myself sometimes, you know, and I, I remember having a conversation, and she's not in here so I can talk about my wife. She's with the kids. But I remember having a conversation, and she felt like she couldn't, you know, somehow spend money. And I realized that I was being, you know, well, we got these bills, and we got this, and that, and that, and that, and that. And she felt so constrained, and my wife spends nothing. She never spends anything on herself, and she does. She spends it on the kids, and somehow I had given her the imp- I'd never said anything directly, and I realized, this was uh, several months back, well before I was ever even thinking about going in, in that we were going to end up in this place, and I realized that, and I went, and I, sa- I set her down, and I said, I am just so sorry. Will you forgive me, Laura? I mean, you spend nothing. You're always spending on other people. You spend nothing on yourself. I beg you, would you forgive me if I've given you the sense? And, you know, she teared up a little bit. And I, I just felt awful, and I realized that there was something in my heart. I wasn't trusting the Lord for provision. It was just ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's not like I'm, and please do not slip money in my pocket on the way out. We're fine. I mean, I'm not, your pastor's not suffering. But it's a perspective. And that's what I told you a couple of weeks ago as I was going through this. I'm just, I said, Lord, I see some of this in my own heart. And so it's been a place of real repentance over the last, you know, period of time. I want to be a generous person. I want to be constantly in a place where generosity just flows through me. Why? Because I love being around generous people. Not because they're generous to me. I just love the spirit. I, there's a certain belovedness with people who are generous of spirit. You just, there's something that, it's just a breakthrough. It's just wonderful. And by the way, you don't have to be wealthy to be greedy. Right? You don't have to be Mr. Potter or anything like that. I mean, you can have nothing and be extraordinarily greedy. So greedy does not, finds no bounds socioeconomically. It's interesting. It's very subtle. Why? Because we, well, we do need to provide for our families. I, you know what drives me crazy, by the way? A little sidebar here. Professional athletes that are making like $15, 20000000 million, and then they switch to another team so they can make 25 or $30 million, and they leave their team and everything, and they say, I just need to provide for my family. And I'm just like, <laughs> it just kills me, right? I mean, just, I just need to provide for my family. And I just think, wow, what have we come to when we think, what do you want to do with you? Please don't be giving your kids that much money. You're going to destroy them if that's what providing for your family is. We have a warped sense of what providing for our family. Your family needs a lot more than, than that. And we do need to save. I mean, Proverbs 6, observe the ant. You know, the ant stores up during the harvest, and then it, you know, it has enough in lean times. I mean, savings is wise. And we, and we don't want to be a burden in our older age where all of a sudden, well, we're just out of money and now our kids or the government or somebody's going to have to take care of us. Uh, all these things are good things. Saving is good. Being wise with your money is good. And all those things are good, but they can easily be turned into an idol and a hiding place for people who are greedy. Well, I have to save. I can't give to that. Or I have to, you know, I have to hold on to that because I can't give to that. Just be cautious. It's a, it's a subtle thing. 
2 Timothy chapter 3. This is going to find its way into the church, Paul is telling Timothy. In fact, it's already happening in their time. He says, realize this, then in the last days. The last days, by the way, are just from the time of the ascension all the way to the time Jesus comes back in his second advent. Okay, so we're in the last days. In the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self. They will be lovers of money. They'll be boastful and arrogant. They'll be revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. They'll be holding on to a form, if you skip on down a few verses, they'll hold to a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. There's power in generosity. There's power in an attitude that, uh, uh, of abundance, even when you have nothing. Just believing that the hoarding mentality. You've seen the movies that, that are these shows. Hopefully you haven't, but hoarder. They have, we actually, there's actually something on TV called Hoarders. And people can't give away a newspaper that they got, you know, from 23 years ago. And they have these little channels that they walk through in their house. And because they're afraid to get rid of anything, even trash, because there's a, there's a fear-based mentality. And I guess these proliferate. I, there's, I mean, I, I know people even in my own experience uh, that I know that are hoarders. And they're just, they cannot give away anything. It's greed based in fear. Now, how, how nice can your, you have a, an entire home and you've got about 11 square feet to live in because you're hoarding all your stuff. It's a real powerful picture of what it does, even if you're not a hoarder. You're crowded into a very small place when you're not a person of generosity, a very small place. And by the way, I look at everybody, so do not come to me and say, you were preaching and you were looking at me. I wasn't looking at you. I just look at, I try to look at everybody, okay? So he said, this is the way it's going to be. People are increasingly going to love their stuff and themselves. It is in the church. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Just be content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. Did, did you get that? I'm not going to desert you. I'm not going to forsake you. It's my stuff. If you'll steward it well and give when I tell you to give, just do it, and I'll take care of you. I'm never going to depart from you. Do you see how this gets back to a faith issue? This really is a faith issue. Giving, you know, they're generous people that are not believers at all, and they just, they're just generous people. And, uh, but certainly, and they don't even posit God. They can't even position God in their own head, but they're still generous. Some see it as a universal principle. I have studied an amazing amount this last period of time, reading all kinds of uh, neuroscientists and everything else, and a lot of the science that it revolves around. And the can I tell you, the world understands that generosity is the way to go. I don't know if you saw it this last week, but there was some kind of uh, there was a company, I think it was a real estate company, and they had, a, uh, they had done extraordinarily well, and they have all these employees, and they decided to have a Christmas party, and they gave away $10 million to their employees based on their tenure. People were getting checks for $50,000, $70,000 they didn't know they were going to get, and they opened up a card, and there was fifty, sixty, seventy thousand. dollars 70000 And the reactions, I don't know if you saw it this week, were priceless. It was extraordinary. 
There's generosity with or without Christ. But with Christ, I mean, we should never fear because God tells us to do something with our stuff. We should never fear it. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If you're getting uncomfortable with this, I'm telling you, that's why I put so much scripture in here. Can I just tell you, if you're getting uncomfortable, it's an indication of, I'm talking to me, there's probably something in there and you don't want to live in that kind of idolatry because you're never going to be able to go able to speak into a culture if you yourself are struggling with the same thing or under the influence of slavery of some kind of something. Be free. Be free. Be generous. Be free. You know, uh, I think I was thinking this week, it's, it's not going to come up, but just yesterday I was thinking of all the places um, Jude talks about, there are certain people that are going to creep in unnoticed and they're going to fall into the error of Balaam, who basically sold. He was taking the religious thing, this God thing, and selling it, right? So he would prophesy, if you remember the story about uh, he'd, Balaam had wanted to bring this guy, this guy wanted to come in, this king wanted to come in and bring Balaam to curse the nation of Israel because they were terrified of them. And he, first he said no, and it sounds like he's a godly guy, but later we find out that he sells out. He's a sellout. We see that in Jude. I think about Gehazi. Gehazi is a terrifying thing for me, by the way. Gehazi is someone who was a servant of Elisha, who was the follower-up of Elijah that we had talked about being provided for at the, uh, the creek there and fed by the ravens. Uh, Elisha is his successor, and he has a guy hanging out with him. And there was Naaman who came down, and uh, he got healed. And uh, he says, I wanna, I'll give you whatever you want, Elisha. And Elisha says, I don't want your money. I'm not in this for money. And he says, so he lets him, he lets him go, and, Naaman's, and, and Gehazi goes, oh, hmm. He said he'd give him all this, so he chases him down, and he lies to him and says, Elisha changed his mind, and uh, uh, yeah, I'll, take a few, I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a couple changes of clothes and things like that, and he comes back. And, of course, you know, why would you do that with a prophet of God? <laughs> I mean, you know, Elisha goes, where you been? And he's like, well, you know, no, nowhere. And, and uh, he goes, uh, the leprosy is going to cling to you until the, to the end of time. That was the same guy, Gehazi, who could not see into the unseen realm. And they had to pull back the threshold and see. They saw these angels and things. He couldn't see because he was so captivated by what he could see, thinking he'd be satisfied by what he saw. And I've, I wrote years ago, the Gehazi spirit, Lord, never let the Gehazi spirit come on me that I would ever try to utilize, especially for somebody in ministry, and try to utilize this for my own personal empowerment and wealth. Sin of Achan, right, when they came into Jericho, again, I alluded to a minute ago, they were stoned, he and his family, in the Valley of Achor because they were banned from taking anything once they started that battle, and they went in and they took some of it and they hid it in their tent, and then they lost the next battle and and God spoke, and they dug it out of his tent. He was hiding it. And he was like, hey, what's the big deal? Nobody sees this. What's the big deal? It was an infection, infection in the camp. It was greed. And we see many other cases of that. Luke chapter 12, very interesting, very interesting little uh, exchange here. And Jesus, verse 13 fascinating. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And then Jesus said, man who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you. Then Jesus said to them, 
Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Now, he takes this moment, and I'll finish this in a second, but he takes this moment. Here he is teaching these amazing things. And everybody's saying, this guy has authority, a unique kind of authority. And here's this God moment. I mean, this is God in human flesh teaching us. Now, many of them didn't understand the fullness of that, but they noticed and could see the authority that he taught differently than their rabbis were teaching. He could, they could just feel this thing. And here he was, and, and here's a guy in the back, and he takes this opportunity with God in the flesh. And all he could do was filter. Um, he's just thinking, I, I'm not getting my share of the inheritance. I'm not getting my share of the inheritance. I'm not getting my share. That guy's got some authority. Hey, hey, would you tell him, since you've got all this authority, would you tell my brother to share the inheritance with me? Can you, can you imagine that? Can I just say before we go on, I, this has happened so many times to me, I can't even begin to tell you. People, you, I had, I'll never forget this, and I think this, this guy is long out of, the, out of the realm, but it was early on at, at, at one of the country clubs years ago, and I had a guy that was coming for a period of time, and, and we had a group of about 30 men sitting around this thing, and, and he says, I want to share this morning. I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to give his life to Jesus. He's coming into the kingdom. I said, I, he wants to share his testimony. So he did, and we were sitting around, and he sat down, and he opened up his little briefcase, and he's going to share something, and he starts passing these things out. I said, oh, my gosh, he's written down his testimony. He's going to give his testimony to all of us so we can see it. It was a land deal. Now, do you know how many people come in, especially when you have a captive audience like this, a networking, you have certain boundaries that go down. Do you know how many times in the early stages Laura and I were taken advantage of because somebody invited us over to their house and they were just trying to sell us something? Happens over and over again. People come in, the very message that will release them into a life of incredible, unbelievable life and eternal life, a walk with Jesus, but they come in here seeing this as a network opportunity. I'm telling you right now, if you're in here seeing this as a networking opportunity, be very cautious. Be on your guard against every form of greed. Now, if somebody does business with you and you, you happen to be part of a community and they trust you, that's fine. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're in here thinking, I'm going to network, and this, I, you know, then be cautious. Well, that was what was happening. He was networking. He was going to try to get a power play over his brother who wasn't giving him part of the inheritance. It says, be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Now, I'm going to talk to you in just a second about this because let me tell you something. People wrap up their identity in how much they have. Do you know that that's true? I mean, this is going to sound like I'm really condemning this guy, but Jeff Bezos and all this, I mean, just like he, he went from this, Lord, I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't say that he's a nerd, so I won't. But this kind of this nerdy existence and kind of this, and then all of a sudden he's the richest guy in the world. And now I, now I see him, and he's all buffed out, and he's getting a new wife and getting all that. And it's just like and his perspective's different. You could see. There was, I, I saw an interview with him right at the beginning. to see this kind of meek guy, and this is kind of what our heart is. And, you know, we just want to, you know, do this, sell some books over the Internet and all this kind of stuff. And now it's just a very different thing. It's affected his character. I'm not saying he's greedy, not greedy, whatever, but I will tell you that he's made a lot of money, a lot of money. He told them a parable. He said, you know, there was a land of a rich man, and it was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, notice this, what shall I, this is, you know, 
my will be done. What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Notice the language. This is my stuff, my crops. What am I going to do to my stuff? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, do you see the self-centeredness in this? Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Retire. And then just live the life with the little umbrellas out of your drinks. And I'm sure Costco sells them somewhere, someplace, right? So he's like, well, what's wrong with that? The guy worked hard. He earned it. He, he deserves it. It's his stuff. He can do whatever he wants with it. I mean, that's the mantra. That's the capitalist kind of thing. And Jesus' response to that is quite profound. But God said to him, you're a fool. You are a fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who's going to own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, how, what, how do you deal with this? Look, I, I know there's a million questions that begin to, you know, swarm into your head. It's, it's pretty simple. If you see your stuff as God's stuff and you're stewarding it for him, is very different than it's mine, I deserve it, it's mine, I do whatever I want with it. I'm going to store it, I'm going to use it, I'm going to take it, it's all for my ease, this is going to be wonderful, and then we're just going to live happily ever after. And God says, look, you can have control over your money and you can hoard it, but you do not have control over the time that you have on the earth. Be cautious. It's tomfoolery. You know, I met with a couple of people this last few weeks, and uh, I was so moved by their story. And they're like, we want to go until the very last day we live on this earth. We want to steward our stuff. We want to use it for the advancement of the kingdom. We want to, to the very day we die, there is no retirement in our minds. We don't want to just sit back and, you know, be merry. We don't want to store it up in a bunch of grain barns and just sit there and watch it rot. Um, and then somebody eventually gets it, which will probably ruin them, by the way, anyway. Uh, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go all the way to the end, and I'm going to be stewarding my stuff, and I'm going to do it as if it was God's. And these were not people with, you know, a few hundred bucks in the bank. These are people with great resources. I had another man told me, you've heard of Hobby Lobby and uh, Mr. Green and Hobby Lobby they give away a billion dollars every year, a billion dollars off knickknacks and whatever's in there, patty wax, because I've never been in there. But there's something going on in there where they're making, they got like 900 stores, and he brings men in and women uh, with great resources, and he doesn't tell them, you should do this, and it's not a bunch of moralizing and making people feel guilty. He said, this is just the vision that I have for my life, I realized that I am here to expand the kingdom. He was the big move behind uh, the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., which I've never been to, but some of our folks have given quite substantially into that. Must be unbelievable, unbelievable. But he, they give to things that you can't fathom. Unbelievable. So what does it do as we wind, start to wind? What does, how does it distort your personality? Dr. Linda Shaw, who is a... Um, cognitive neuroscientist, PhD, uh, she talked, she did quite a bit on this, and she says uh, it really profoundly affects people's sense of reality. 
people will move into lying and to deceiving the greedier that they get because they have to protect what is at the core, what they is, is either providing their identity or in some way providing their contentment. And it just takes, she said, takes so much energy that it always ends up. And now this is, she's not a believer at all because she was talking about the religion's help with this and she's talking Buddhism and Hinduism this and that. But there is a universal principle here. It's, it takes so much energy to hoard and to, to be greedy that it leads to increased cortisol and the health benefits. My, by the way, if God tells you something, please understand this. This is not for your detriment. It's for your benefit. If God tells me to do something that I think doesn't, isn't going to work, uh, you know, in the early days, like, well, that's not going to work. I'm not going to do that, but I'll do this over here. If God's telling me something that will release me into more life, because Jesus said I came to give life and life more abundantly, there's some truth, deep, powerful truth. Chances are it doesn't make sense in my mind. Doesn't make any sense. And here's the world saying, yeah, if you're greedy, I'm just telling you, it's going to distort your personality. You're going to become a different kind of person. There was some more research that was done uh, at Berkeley, and uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. Now, by the way, just sidebar, I am not anti-capitalist. Capitalism is a beautiful thing. It's provided untold things for our society. It's eased pain. It's allowed people to be more, more time with their families sometimes if they'll use it judiciously. Uh, there's been a lot of great pushes forward. I'm not with Gordon Gecko. Greed is good. I'm not in that place. But the, the, the desire to produce and be productive and fruitful, whether it be in the kingdom or in an economy, is good as long as your motivations are pure and your desire is to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and then everything else is if, if you're orderly in your mind, spiritually speaking, and see yourself as a steward, capitalism can be extraordinary. In fact, it's gonna, it'll build this church. It's built tens of thousands of churches around the world. Why? Because people use their skills. They brought, now, if it's, you know, if, it, if they're part of a company and it's, uh, you know, 10,000 to one where the average employee makes 20,000 and the, and the CEO's making hundreds of millions of dollars, then there's some problem uh, in that. It's not, it needs to be more egalitarian. You need to see your corporation is benefiting society and other things like that. And we've gotten into some very serious corporate greed as we found out in 2008, right? We don't have to go back to 2008 to understand that. So we have to be cautious. There's a balance. There can be a sense of entitlement at the low end where people feel entitled to welfare and all these other things as the government should provide for them. And then there can also be a sense of entitlement at the highest end as well. Entitlement comes in all kinds of socioeconomic classes. So I'm not berating capitalism. But what they did in Berkeley, they did this experiment. It's pretty fascinating. And, and I, again, they knew they were being watched and things like that. And they had to do many of these over. And so it's, you know, you can take it for what it's worth. But what they did is they did a, a game of Monopoly. All right, so they, they started this game of Monopoly, and what they did is they got, you know, several players in there, and one particular player, they would give twice the amount of money that they gave the other players. And every time that person came around and passed go, rather than getting $200, they got $400. And they said, those are the rules of the game. And when it started, they kind of all came in humble. Well, I don't know why I get more than they do, and hey, why does that guy get more than I do, and all that kind of thing. In other words, it was just already kind of a rigged game. But over time, the longer they played, the, t the personality of the guy who's getting $400, times, $400 every time he passes go and started with twice 
the amount of money, began to actually take it into himself, and it became part of his personality. They had all kinds of little things. They put some pretzels down. He was the one that dominated, ate much more of the pretzels, many more of the pretzels than the other guy. Because the other guy felt like, well, I'm just getting killed here, you know. And, and they, they all knew it was a rigged game, but over time they had forgotten all the things that had been given to the, this guy, and the other guy just thought he began to see himself as kind of a, well, I can't do anything right, and I can't win this. The game is rigged. Some of you, God has rigged the game. You were born to parents that were kind, and you had the opportunity. Yeah, you worked hard. I'm not saying that, but you, you had opportunity uniquely in time and place. You're born in the 20th century. You, all these things happen to you. Maybe, you're, maybe the color of your skin, your parents that loved you. And some people even, all of a sudden, you realize it's kind of a rigged game. And yes, I worked hard, but... I could have worked this hard and, and been, had a different skin color, been born at a different time in human history, and uh, I barely could provide for my family and maybe even worked harder than I do now. But we take it into ourselves, and that's what happened. They, they did another thing. They talked about people. They took this guy, and they, hundreds of times they repeated this, and they had it on video. They had a guy crossing the street in a, in a crosswalk, and in California, if someone's in the crosswalk, you're obligated to stop legally. Is somebody just standing in the crosswalk, ready to cross, even though I haven't even started. And it was amazing. He says that they would start to, they would stand in the crosswalk, and he said they, they would, they did a, an examination of the worth and value of the cars that stopped and didn't stop. The less expensive the car, the more they stopped. Almost 100% of the time they stopped when they saw somebody in the crosswalk. They did this hundreds of times. As the value of the car went up, they didn't stop. The more expensive the car, the more they went right through. They felt entitled, like, you know. Why? It affects, greed affects your personality. It distorts who you are. Jesus knows that. He wants you to become like him. Why do we, why do we want to be generous? Because the very character of our creator is generosity. Jesus took on the form of man, not regarding equality with God as something to be grasped, but took on human flesh and came down and died as a bond slave, a, the most generous gift that will ever, ever be given in the entire cosmos. Amen. See, God is generous. And you want to become like God? You can't be Scrooge. You can't be Potter. You can't be. Proverbs 21, verse 4, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, how they see, what shines their, what they look at, what captures their eye, it's sin. I remember reading that the very first time. And uh, certainly, and I, I'm sure I still struggle with this. I, I, I fight this. You know, I'm, in, I'm very, I am very much an entitled person. I grew up at the country club. I, I have certain skin. I've got a certain education, all that kind of stuff. I could walk around like I, it was a rigged game. I had parents that loved me, encouraged me and all this. And and I know some of you in here, and some of you, and your, your parents, are they were dead. And I know one guy in here, you know, and I don't think Robert would care, but I'm, I mean, he's shared this publicly. But, I mean, he's, one parent shoots the other one in the head. I mean, what kind of, it's a rigged game. How can I walk around with haughty eyes and some kind of proud spirit? How does that work? I don't know. Um, you know, when you look at it, if you think about it deeply, um, do we have that first clip? 
it can so distort your personality. Now, let me just tell you something. I like playing clips. You know that because it's, it speaks to our culture. But that first, this is a Schindler's List. It's hard to watch, but let's, let's watch this clip. I don't understand. <laughs> you want these people? These people, my people, I want my people. Who are you, Moses? Come on, what is this? Oh, where's the money on this? Where's the scam? It's good business. Yeah, it's good business in your opinion. Look, you've got to move them. The equipment, everything to Czechoslovakia. Pay for all that and build another camp. Doesn't make any sense. Look, um, Look you're not telling me It's something. good for me. I know them. I'm familiar with them. I'm I don't have to train them. It's good for you. I'll compensate you. Yeah, that's right. It's good for the army. Yeah, of course. Do you know what I'm going to make? What? Artillery shells. Well, everyone's making artillery tank shells. Tank shells. They yeah, need that. Shells. Everybody's yeah. happy. Everyone's happy except me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're probably scamming me somehow. If I'm making a hundred, you've got to be making three. Hmm? And if you admit to making three, then it's four, actually. But how? I just told you. No, you did, but you didn't. Yeah, all right. Don't tell me. I'll go along with it. It's just irritating. I can't work it out. Look, all you have to do is tell me what it's worth to you. What's a person worth to no, you? No, 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 no. What's one worth to you? You know, there's, there's probably, in all of moviedom, uh, Ray Fine's character here that is more despicable I mean, that you could be bartering and then arguing about selling, in this case, Jewish people in an internment camp, selling them back to work in Schindler's factory. Talk about greed, right? His character was as distorted as you could imagine. Well, don't just, we can't just put that way out there and say, well, we're not like that. Greed distorts our personality. So what is the antidote? generosity. That's the antidote. You give until you're cheerful. I love that. I read that somewhere. You just give till you're cheerful. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. He said, well, he didn't say don't give if you're not cheerful. I think it was given till you're cheerful. Just get Why? Because wherever your money goes, your heart follows it. See, as we, you know, Laura and I have supported and continue to support missionaries and various things and kingdom projects, and I know many of you do as well, our heart goes with them. We begin to, we begin to think uh, and we, we experience this joy that happens as their successes or our successes. It's all this just extraordinary. And yet there's this pull and this tug to not, and yet when we do, it's so joyful. What is the antidote? Timothy, chap, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Wow. We just pack up and go home now. We could live into that. But those who want to get rich, well, they fall into all kinds of temptations and snares. Notice, remember, we talked about slavery. The slavery of greed is idolatry, right? It's slavery. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Have you ever seen the show American Greed? I mean, people historically, uh, the, the college admission scandal. I mean, just go down this long list of things that where greed slips in and they plunge themselves in for this love of money. For the love of money, it's a root of all sorts of evil. It's not the root of all evil. 
It's the root of all kinds of different forms of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice, inside the church, they were coming, they were involved, and they, well, they wandered away from the faith. Because of the idolatry of greed was never eradicated in their heart. And then he simply says, flee these things, you man of God. I want to go all the way to verse 17 for as a function of time. This is my task. I, I, I have to do this. If I don't, I'm not being a good steward of what God has given me to help you as your pastor, one of your pastors. I have to do this. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. That's the effect on their personality distortion. Or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. I beg you, don't find your identity or anything in money. But on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Yes, God gives us things to enjoy. You don't have, we're, we're not, I'm not, there's no call to monasticism. There's no call to a hermit lifestyle. That who can give away the most wins and all that. Just begin to see, I'm stewarding this for you, Lord. What would you have me do with my stuff? He's not going to put you out on the streets. He says, instruct them to to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. By the way, you store it up for yourselves, the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Now, what I think this means is if they will be willing to be rich in good works, they'll be able to hold, take hold of life which is actually life. You got to do it. They'll be able to take hold of the kind of life that I came to die and give them, which always leads to connection and community. What greed does is it isolates you. Who wants to be around alligator arm guy? <laughs> Trying to get the check. I just can't quite get it. Saw that Geico commercial not long ago, right? Uh, I, nobody wants to be around them. By the way, if, if your friends always are kidding you that you're the, the tightwad of the group, chances are there's idolatry there. If you're always being kind of chided, oh, he never picks up the bill, he did it, you know, it's kind of funny and everybody kind of puts up with it, but at the core, there's probably some idolatry there. The beloved, we're, we have to be marked by generosity because that's where life exists. What's amazing, as we've given through the years, it's like it's family. And we've had many generous people to us. I mean, I, when we first started in ministry, it was like, I don't know how we're going to make it. And um, Greg Solis has been a, my friend for a long time. He would always just sit around and shake his head and go, I don't know how you guys make it, but you just, you always have an abundance. Even when we were, you just doing ministry and living in a guest house. And God provides. You have to know that. Some people, because they're not generous, never know that God's a provider. It's amazing. I mean, it's, it just, it builds your, builds your faith. And then he'll give you an abundance and you're like, okay, now I got abundance. I got to keep it. Just be free. Be free. You don't have to do anything other than what he tells you to do. So in closing, uh, I want to play the second clip. I, this clip, in fact, I'm going to uh, have uh, Mr. Sid Tolls come up and close us in prayer when we do at the end of this clip. And uh, the reason is because uh, one of the most generous people I've ever known in my life, and uh, he would be, I will suffer the wrath of him when it's over, but he is truly one of the most generous people I've ever known in my life. And so he, he's the appropriate guy to close us and pray for us 
as it relates to this thing that wants to rise up in our heart and strangle us and enslave us and not lead to the kind of life that God wants you to have. Are you hearing your pastor today? (laughs) But this clip changed my life when I saw this scene. I wept from the belly just finding it to play it for you today. I was in my office, found the clip, played it, and began to weep from the belly. This gave me a perspective of that moment. It's just an analog, and many of you will know the scene well, but the emotion that he felt when he realized he had spent too much on himself when he could have been releasing people, for, in this case analogously, out of these horrific holocausts. Back to Schindler's List, which is a hard movie to watch, by the way. But it's one of the most profound scenes. It is, to me, the most profound scene cinematically that I've ever seen in my life. And then at the conclusion of it, uh, I would like Sid Tolls to come up and close us in prayer and pray for us as a church. By the way, this is, this is not a message to an ungenerous church. This is one of the most generous churches I've ever been in around, around in my entire life. We, the giving that goes on in this church that I know about, and I don't know about a lot of it, is extraordinary. Paul would say, excel still more. Now, if you can get, ladies, men, get your tissue out. Think about this in terms of lives that can be saved for eternity, not just on earth. Understand the parable in this scene, and then I'll have said close us in prayer. Good, what about 
this car. Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This pin. Two people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for At least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. Person is there. For this. I could have got one more person. And I didn't. <laughs> what a great time to ask somebody to pray. <laughs> but before I pray, you know, Jeff was talking about that gift. Everybody was open and their gift that had money in it. But in 2 Corinthians 10, 13, there's a better gift for all of us. And it says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that's what we have the opportunity to celebrate in the weeks to come. Father God, thank you again for this great opportunity and our freedom to worship you. Lord, thank you for the message that Jeff delivered. And Lord, work in each one of our hearts. And Lord, that we can go out and make a difference for who we are in you and make a difference in our community. That we, as individuals, can be like that movie clip. Lord, to go reach one more for you to bring one more into the kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We love you, Church of the Red Door. Hang out. For those of you who are traveling, we'll be praying for you.